The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate, put it in context. Call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. This market's all about a tale of Two, not one, but two fangs. There's the one we all know and love, or at least used to love, my acronym for Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Google. And then there's the other one. That's fang, as in the symbol for Diamondback Energy, a classic independent U.S. oil company that's doing fabulously. Unfortunately, today was the wrong fangs day to shine. Uh, which is why the Dow only slipped three points after being up so nice all day. S&P finished down 0.55%, and the Nasdaq tumbled. Whoa, 2.01%. The house of pain. Look, I got nothing against Diamondback specifically, uh, but it's a very it's a very aggressive oil company. Probably the fastest-growing producer in the lucrative Permian Basin. When the price of crude spikes like it did today, traders naturally reach for Diamondback, which is an excellent operator with fabulous assets and very low costs. The problem is that this market only bites with one fang at a time. When Diamondback's running, it means the tech fang's getting just annihilated. Like I keep telling you, this market's currently dominated by the great reopening trade. Investors expect a booming economy, something that's confirmed by today's oil rally. And nobody cares about big tech when the economy is on fire. Sell, 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 sell. And that's when Wall Street dumps the consistent growth stocks and doubles down on boom and bust cyclicals that can deliver incredible numbers right here, right now. Now, you might think that's unfair. But the money managers have already made up their minds about what works, and the great reopening trade isn't going anywhere. So you need to use any opportunity to buy high-quality cyclicals into weakness. And I'm going to try to spot them for you. Let's use one as Exhibit A. Let's talk about Union Pacific. Now, uh, we saw this as one of the best reopening plays because the railroad is levered to everything that matters as we come out of the worst pandemic in ages. We know that President Biden wants to build out infrastructure. Union Pacific's a huge hauler of cement and aggregates. 
the stone you need to build roads. Biden wants clean energy. Union Pacific moves wind turbines. We know we got a housing boom. Union Pacific transports household appliances, lumber, roofing uh, products. Non-residential construction is turning. Union Pacific lugs all sorts of steel. Oil's making a comeback. Union Pacific ships barrels of the stuff along with fracking sand and pipeline parts. How about this incredible backlog at the ports in California? Guess who transports these 20,000 shipping containers per, you know, it's kind of like Leaning Tower Pizza, per boat once they get on shore. I actually did it also at the Pyramids of Egypt. I do it wherever I can, and I did it right here. This is, in our San Francisco, this is one market when we're in San Francisco. Union Pacific is practically a one-stop shop for the great reopening. These things will more than likely be stacked on a Union Pacific train when they finally are unloaded. So now the company's also got an amazing management team run by the great Lance Fritz. It's environmentally friendly, too. The train gets 470 miles to the gallon, making it a heck of a lot cleaner and better smelling than diesel-fueled trucks. Most important, though, this is a stock that rarely goes down. That's why I said you had to pounce when Union Pacific got slammed earlier this week. Bye, bye, bye! When uh, Canadian Pacific uh, was, uh, was announced that they're buying a, the West Coast rival Kansas City Southern. Stock fell from 210 to 206 on the news. But if you knew the score, you could confidently buy it into weakness because this market loves the reopening plays. Sure enough, Union Pacific's already back to 212 and 90 cents today. And by the way, it also ticked to 215 midday. And I bet it's got a lot more room to run. When it comes to the reopening stocks, this market will always give them the benefit of the doubt. Now, contrast that with the non-reopening stocks. Take Adobe, one of last year's big winners. Uh, and I've got to tell you, I've enjoyed them so much. I had them on this morning on Squawk in the Street. I had CEO Shantanu Narayan, and he went to great lengths on the conference call and in my interview to show you that his business remains amazingly strong. He delivered some astounding numbers and even raised his full-year forecast. It was a thing of beauty. Adobe is clearly firing on all cylinders. They got three clouds. There's the creative cloud, the experience cloud, and the document cloud. All three came in much better than expected. Yet none of it mattered. The stock closed down $8.69 for the day. What does matter? What does matter is that Adobe's not considered reopening play. In fact, it's widely regarded as a stay-at-home, work-at-home stock. Now, I think that's selling them completely short. But this is clearly the kind of thing that's gone out of style on what we call the Wall Street fashion show on this show. So even though the quarter was excellent, I mean, it was, no, it was fantastic. Its stock got cast off. And I don't know if it's safe to buy this one yet. It might take a collapse in oil prices or even a new strain of COVID-19 for Adobe to get its groove back. I know it's insane, but that's the way it works. Don't get me wrong. I love Adobe, the company. I think it's fantastic. And I would gladly buy some of the stock here, but then you'd have to wait and buy more on the way down. If it goes lower, and I think it will. But see, it's not up to me what's happening. It's up to the market. And this market has zero patience for anything it considers or considered even a lockdown stock. Adobe's hardly alone here. You've got wounded lockdown plays all over the place. For example, there's the insult to injury story of General Mills. The giant cereal maker reported just a fantastic quarter this morning. It was beautiful. Best I've seen in a long time. Management talked, though, about, of course, how the growth just can't possibly be as robust as the great reopening because, well, people are going to go out. They're not going to eat as much breakfast, right? I mean, they're not going to eat at home. They're going to go out. No. Um, And I want you to throw in. Yes. I want you to throw in the, the curious case of the shrimp tails 
In the Cinnamon Toast Crunch Box, it looks like General Mills picked the wrong day to report. It's a story that's making the rounds online. General Mills just can't uh, catch a break. I don't know. I'm still not sure. Of course, every now and then you'll see a cyclical, uh, cyclical getting laid to waste, too. And it is intriguing if you want to buy into weakness. We have Nucor on tonight, and the steel company's got a tremendous story to tell. And even though it was up today, it did close down $2 from its highs. That's actually a buying opportunity. Then there's a bloody but unbound and incredibly controversial saga of MP Materials. That's that rare earth minerals company. We've had them on a couple of times. They announced a big secondary offering, convertible bond, and it just got slaughtered, down nearly 10% today. MP Materials is the sole American producer of all sorts of rare earths, which is the stuff you need for electric vehicles. I think they've been punished enough, real gauntlet. And while the stock likely won't soar right back, I do believe it's got the wind at its back. Sure, I wish they hadn't done the deal, and I don't love the insider selling. But when you get a chance to buy an intriguing cyclical lever to electric vehicles with amazing scarcity value, I don't know, maybe you have to take it. The great reopening will not be denied. Now, ideally, you want to hedge your bets. The G in Fang, Google, a company now known as Alphabet, is the perfect way to do it. Alphabet's not getting much love here because it was a big winner last year, but it's actually a fabulous reopening play and was up most of the day. Why? Because the company's advertising-driven business model is joined at the hip with the travel and leisure industry. Those ads disappeared when we were in lockdown, but now they're making a comeback. We're about to see a travel and leisure bonanza. These companies would have to be nuts not to advertise on Google right now. I bet the estimates are way too low. Long term, I remain unwavering in my support of Facebook, Amazon, Apple and Netflix, too. Facebook's hated. Hey, Zuckerberg speaks in front of Congress. I already found out it's going to go badly. Kidding. It's gotten incredibly cheap for a growth stock. Amazon's prime membership numbers will likely surprise the upside. And then they just landed Adam Solipsky. He's the the former CEO of Tableau Software, which was bought by Salesforce two years ago to run Amazon Web Services. I was concerned when Andy Jassy, the fantastic former head of AWS, took over from Jeff Bezos as CEO. But uh, because I didn't know who would replace him. But Solipsky's the perfect pick. He toiled for years at Amazon before transforming Tableau into a digital powerhouse. Netflix, I keep hearing the international business is better than expected. Apple, multiple notes, and one including today about how strong the service revenue stream is. The bottom line, though, as much as I like the old fang, the fact is the market doesn't care. To Wall Street, these are all lockdown stocks that might as well be filled, yes, with toasted shrimp tails. But the reopening trades, you can buy them all you want. And unlike the stay-at-home stocks, This market actually treats them like they get cheaper as they go lower. Let's go to Ravinder in New York. Ravinder. Hey, Jim. Big high five from Brooklyn, New York. This is Ravinder. How are you doing? Oh, man. Brooklyn's own. Right there with you. What's up? (laughs) So I've been looking at a stock uh, that released the first earnings since IPO three weeks ago. Forward guidance wasn't very exciting. I mean, we are looking at NASDAQ, which is down like 78% from the highs last month. And the stock is down 60, 62% from the highs last month. I mean, seven weeks red in a row. It's very strange, not even trading in line with the market. If the market goes down 5 to 10% more, God forbid, you know, what would you do or what would you suggest? And how far the C3 AI stock can go? Oh, gee, C3. I mean, there's no – it has the worst base of shareholders. They just keep selling and selling. I think you need to see two quarters under your belt before people feel better about this stock. And it is doing well, but it's out of favor right now. And you see what happens. It's just what we used to call a source of funds. I need to go to Michael in New York. Michael. Who are Jim? How are you? I am good, Michael. How about you? Good, great. Doing good. Listen, I, I invested in this stock about eight months ago called uh, Corning. Yeah. 
And I'm looking. I know it's got great potential going forward, great earnings. It's up about eight, nine points from when I bought it. What do you think going forward? I think it's just a good, solid company viewed as an excellent industrial. And I think it's fine. It had up and down for a long time. But they've really gotten their act together, and I am fine with Corning. I need to go to Fred in New York. Fred. Jimmy Chill, thanks for taking a call. And thanks for all your help to us home gamers, buddy. The Chill Man's trying, man. Under assault here. What's going on? You're the best, Jimmy. You're the best. Thank you. Hey, Jimmy, as the tech sell-off starts to bottom out and more money goes into tech, is the reopen trade, especially travel and leisure, is that trade over, or does it have room to run? Well, which stock would you care about? Because well, no, Norwegian. Uh, I mean, Norwegian is my biggest uh, position. Norwegian, but, but, right, but let me tell you something. It, it really is. I mean, Frank Del Rio is basically saying to the authorities, whatever you want. You want us to vaccinate? We'll vaccinate everybody. We'll vaccinate the crew. Vaccinate the cousins. What does the government want from these guys? They'll do anything they want. But the government is discriminating against the cruise organizations, and I think it's a darn shame because they're willing to play ball any way the government wants, but the government won't say it. Frank Del Rio, to me, is the best. All right, he's CEO of uh, Norwegian. Right, it is a tale of two fangs. There's like the you know, tech fang, and there's the... Dying back fang. Oh, man. On Mad Money Tonight, with the COVID relief bill in the rearview mirror, all eyes on Washington and Wall Street are refocusing on Biden's next big economic priority, a massive infrastructure bill. So could a company like Nucor stand to benefit? I'm going to talk with the CEO after just a terrific mid-quarter update. Then, can the meme mania continue following GameStop's incredibly good earnings report? I'm crunching the numbers. And the line in the sand for the booming mortgage sector has been drawn by United Wholesale Mortgage's CEO. Tough guy. And I'm sitting down with it tonight. Feisty to find out why. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere, you can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand. NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast, indeed.com slash mad money terms and conditions apply. Need to hire you need indeed. As I told you, after taking a breather for a couple days, the great reopening trade is back, even though the averages closed pretty ugly at the end. And if you want the poster child for this move, I want you to look no further than Nucor. The best of breed steelmaker just keeps roaring. Tacked on another 3% gain today, despite the collapse at the end of the session. When Nucor gave us their interim quarterly guidance last week, which is how they really tell you how they're doing, the couple projected that they earned 3 to $3.10 per share. That is much higher than $2.79 that Wall Street was looking for. Now, if they can deliver, and I think they will, this would be Nucor's best quarterly earnings number in history. And then with the stock trading at barely more than eight times earnings, oh man, this one could have a lot more room to run. Let's take a closer look with Leon Tepelian. He's the president and CEO of Nucor to get a better sense of where his business is headed. Mr. Tepelian, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you for having me, Jim. How are you? Well, Lee, I got to tell you, I'm happy because, you know, I have been a supporter of Nucor literally since the 80s when I was at Goldman Sachs. Yeah. I never thought that you could have this kind of quarter. How come it's all coming together when a lot of other companies are you know, obviously not doing as well because of what's been going on with the pandemic? Well, again, we have the most amazing team in the world, Jim. Uh, again, a little biased, but uh, our 27,000 men and women are committed to serving our customers, serving our shareholders and taking care of business But the other piece of that, Jim, is the investment strategy we've held in investing nearly $4 billion of capital over the last few years is paying dividends. We're creating higher highs and higher lows for our team, our investors, and our shareholders. You know, Leon, that is so important to point out. It's where I wanted to go, which is that many times your predecessors have said, listen, we don't really have a choice. If we want to stay on top, we have to spend because when things get better, it's going to come back with a vengeance. You even said that this this current quarter, the next one could be even better than this quarter. Yeah, Jim, the uh, you know, the overall metrics in our business segments are at or near historic highs. Our backlogs are strong. Our quarter entry rates are strong. And most importantly, our customers are doing well. And when our customers are doing well, we do well. And so as we think about next quarter, we believe we're going to see um, better results than we're going to have in in Q1. Has it ever come together like this non-residential construction, automotive, renewable energy, heavy equipment, agriculture, all of them seeing better demand? You know, Jim, look, it certainly when you reach a record in Nucor, and we've been around 55 years, um, things are converging and, again, creating uh, a wonderful opportunity for our investors, our, our shareholders. And so things are really good. And as you know, we're in a cyclical business, and we've got to ensure that when things are good, Nucor is continuing to make the right investments to continue the long-term focus. We're not about getting bigger, Jim. We're about providing a differentiated value proposition. So we're, we're about adding capability for our customers and making sure in the next three, five, eight, ten years, we're doing the things that our customers need us to do today. Well, 
it must be the case because steel production in the United States has actually declined more than 17% in 2020, which means you are taking share. And the other guys, obviously, even in this rate environment and even in the pricing, have not been able to keep up. I mean, the rest of the industry, you kind of left it behind. You know, look, at the end of the day, we, we've got some great competitors out there, but our, our strategy is very simple. Our focus is to take care of our team, our shareholders, and our customers, and our, our relentless pursuit of delivering world-class results. And everything that we do ensures that we steward our valuable shareholder capital well. And again, Jim, it is paying dividends. And I think you're going to see us move as we move through the year um, to have a very strong next quarter as well. And, and again, we see in many of those categories you mentioned well into the year of, of sustained strength. All right. So what do you say to people who say, you know what, Jim, don't you understand how they made it? Uh, the, the previous president put in big tariffs. And this is what happens when you put on big tariffs. How much of the gains are really from the tariffs, though? You know, look, and it's a fantastic question, something you and I have discussed a lot. If we think about when they were in, the tariffs were put in, 232, um, a year later, we were $250 a ton in steel prices below what they were when they were implemented. And so today where we sit, it's not tariff related. Our demand is a commodity business. It is supply and demand, period. And at the end of the day, the demand picture is strong, but also on the supply side, we've seen a change. There's a substantive change in what is coming onto the market and some of the older, higher cost capacity that's come offline has not restarted. So at the end of the day, pricing is going to move where it's going to move. What we have to do is make sure we're ready and maximizing everything in Newcore's portfolio to capitalize on this current market. And am I right to think that if we actually do get a big infrastructure bill, that Newcore has to be one of the primary beneficiaries? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I had the opportunity a few weeks ago to go to Washington and speak with many of our elected officials. Um, it's something we've ad advocated for probably back to Dan D'Amico days and certainly John. Um, and I'm going to continue to be a tireless advocate. This nation needs to build and make things and we need to rebuild our infrastructure. For every trillion dollars, Jim, spent in infrastructure, it's 11 million people back to work. We have got to put Americans back to work, and we've got to be a nation that doesn't offshore things anymore, that we make things here. This pandemic has taught us a lot. We can't offshore our PPE, pharmaceuticals, right. and we certainly can't allow the deluge of imports to come back into this country in steelmaking. Especially because a lot of the imports come from countries where the air's not clean and they don't care because they want low-priced steel, sometimes low-quality steel, whereas you're the seventh largest corporate buyer of renewable energy and run the cleanest shop and also are a recycler. So in many ways, they want to dump their dirty steel, and we've got the cleanest and I think the, made, the, and made the best. Absolutely. And, and that is one of our commitments. As you know, we, uh, we signed a renewable PPA agreement today that we announced with Orsted. We're really excited about these opportunities. That's the second one in four months. So that's 350 megawatts between the two facilities that Nucor is going to continue to be on the cutting edge and being the most reliable and sustainable steelmaker on the planet. But uh, to your point, if we're going to build a renewable project in this, in this country, do we want to build a wind farm with overseas material that's no emitting at five or six times the rates that the United States are or Nucor can. So we've got to take a holistic look at this and making sure we, uh, we protect our environment and we also protect those manufacturers in this nation that are investing huge amount of dollars, not just Nucor, mm -hmm. across the spectrum. And every viewer who is watching feels just like you. Leon Tapelian, CEO of Nucor, congratulations. These are the quarters we've been waiting for and you're giving to us. Good to see you.
Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Jim. Guys, it's still, like I said, it's only at eight times earnings. If you're a believer like I am, it goes higher. It might back in. Coming up, GameStop stock has been ground zero for a howling retail investor revolution. But it's also a company. Kramer breaks down an earnings report that might make home gamers hit pause. Next. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX. Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. All right, say what you want about this market. It's got a real good sense of humor. Last night, we finally got some results from GameStop. It's first earnings report since the stock shot into the stratosphere. And what happens? company did almost everything right. I mean, they delivered an impressive set of numbers. They're making some smart moves. Business is doing surprisingly well. I think it was about as good as anyone could have reasonably expected. Better! Uh, 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 much better than anyone imagined three months ago. So what happens? How much does it go up? 200, 300%? No, oh, sorry. It gets pulverized. It plummeted $61 or 34% today. Paradoxical? GameStop finds itself in a really tough position where nothing is good enough because the stock's had such an explosive move over the past few months. If this stock were still at 15, I bet it could have rallied five, maybe even 10 percent. But it was at 181 going in the quarter. And that, well, that's a very different story. I don't think there was anything GameStop, the company, could have done or said to make this into a positive catalyst for the stock. Now, it doesn't really help that management's being incredibly cagey. And I'm sure those Wall Street bets guys are saying, boy, are they cagey. Uh, it, they didn't take any questions of the conference call. They didn't give us guidance for the full year. They stonewalled on some important issues. I think that's deliberate. Ever since GameStop became a red-hot meme stock, management has been very quiet. Like, they'd rather create a sense of uncertainty. Maybe it's mystique than risk alienating their new shareholder base. It's probably a smart move. But it means you're never going to get the kind of astonishingly bullish commentary that the Wall Street bets crowd had been hoping for. I never said praying for. I said hoping for. Because I am a gentleman and a scholar. Still, the actual results were pretty impressive. But before we get into specifics, let me set the scene. GameStop ascended to meme stock status in January after the brilliant, amazing, incredible Ryan Cohen, the co-founder of Chewy, bought a big chunk of stock and joined the board of directors. Cohen's the foundation of the bull thesis. you got a lot of people arguing that he can transform GameStop, look, a once-beaten-down video game retailer, into something with much better growth prospects because of his phenomenal track record at Chewy, which is the digital pet food kingpin. (laughs) 
Of course, it's not totally clear what that transformation would look like. Dog food and call of duty? But, like I can resist that one, right? But the new shareholder base does want a radical departure. So let's talk numbers. While the headline results came in a little light, in part because of COVID shutdowns in Europe, in part because they're closing underperforming stores left and right, which is really smart, there were some terrific figures under the hood. Like I said at the beginning, this was a great quarter. Game stocks, uh, their stops, their same store sales up 6.5%. Wall Street was only looking for 4.7. That's an incredible number, 6.5. And that's that all-important key metric. Even better, this was astonishing. E-commerce sales grew by 175% to the point where they now account for uh, over a third of the total, uh, up from 12% the year before. That's the kind of transformation that the new shareholders want to see. And that is just flat-out phenomenal. Best of all, January was better than November and December, which is pretty darn spectacular. Take a bow, Ryan. Meanwhile, the company's cutting costs. Their sales, general, and administrative expenses were down a phenomenal 21% year over year in 2020. Over 2020. They, by the way, here's what they did. They got a big de-densification initiative. Now, I got to de-densify. What a great term. Where they permanently closed 693 stores. Inventories were down 30% at the end of the year, meaning they won't have to do much discounting. Non-promotional. I mean, some of them were saying it's going to be a little promotional, but I, I read it the other way. How about management's commentary? All right, CEO George Sherman, I thought he told a great story. Holy cow. The most important part, in February, GameStop put up 23% same-store sales growth thanks to continued strength in the hardware sales. Uh, that's the new PlayStation and the new Xbox. 23% That's probably the highest of any company I follow. These guys are hitting it out, right out of the park. But like I said before, they are still a little cagey. Management refused to give full-year guidance because the future's too murky. Instead, they basically laid out their top priorities for the year. The goal is to invest heavily in new tech. We like that. Bring in new people so that they can become a, quote, customer-obsessed technology company that delights gamers. Vague, but that's what they need to do. On top of everything else, we heard about some new hires yesterday that were shoot the lights out. GameStop's bringing in a new chief operating officer, Jenna Owens. She's a heavy hitter from Amazon, before that Google. They also hired a couple vice presidents to modernize the e-commerce and supply chain side of the business, which is already doing amazingly. One from Chewy, one from Zulily. Uh, Zulily, remember that? Z-U-L-I-L-Y. Yeah, my wife was. Zulily, I got that with boxes all over the place. These are the moves you want to see. I like them. But not 210 points up like them. That's where I told you to sell it. By the way, when I had ripped out the catheter, I was in my hospital bed and called into Carl and David and said, you got to sell it. Um, it, it, What can I say? I mean, it's not that kind of rip rip out the catheter kind of move. Of course. If this company is going to deliver on Ryan Cohen's huge digital transformation, it will need to raise capital, and that means selling maybe some stock. But again, they're being cagey. You had to look through the annual report to get some clarity here. GameStop is what's known as an ATM or at-the-market offering program. They could let them sell $100 million worth of stock. They might do that, or they might sell more than that. Uh, Basically, they made no promises. But if they don't sell some stock soon, the whole management team, maybe they belong, I don't know, maybe in a mental hospital? It's Bedlam, which is short for Bethlehem. Put it all together. I feel much more confident about GameStop, the company, after this quarter because the quarter was that great. It made me think there's a real chance they could pull off this turnaround. And if the stock was still at 15 or even 25, I would be pounding the table right here. But as long as it's in the triple digits, it's trading like the turnaround has already happened. And management found a treasure trove of Bitcoin or maybe even Ethereum, which traded today, what, at 17? I was was trading around some Ethereum today. Um, Actually, I was buying something with Ethereum and I didn't get it. But anyway, it trades as if they found a treasure trove of Ethereum. Now, if you buy the stock here, you're betting that Ryan Cohen's plan will be wildly successful, which seems like a stretch given that we don't even 
know what the plan is yet. I think that's why management's so reluctant to give us specifics. Granted, it's only been a few months, but they've got every incentive to keep us guessing. GameStop knows there's no upside in spelling out specifics right now. This is a Maltese Falcon story. It's all about the stuff that dreams are made of. As long as they've got all these true believers in the shareholder base, there's no reason for them to paint a clearer picture. Once they settle on a plan, the plan can be criticized. You can build actual earnings models that made it possible to value the stock. Ooh, who wants that? With the stock in the triple digits, the reality of these plans will never be as good as what the Wall Street Bets crew is imagining, as great and fabulous as they are. So what's this thing really worth? Okay, Michael Pachter, yeah, I know, he doesn't like Netflix. It walked at Wedbush, just hit GameStop with a downgrade, even as he raised his price target from 16 to 29. Pachter's a stickler for uh, cash flows, and he's pretty much valuing the stock like normal. At the same time, you got this uh, Stephanie Wizink at Jefferies. She's decided that you need to value this thing like an e-commerce play. And when she does that, she can justify a $175 price target. Only the Wall Street's bet, bets crowd would actually think that number's too low. I'm sure that's exactly what management wants to see, although we still don't know if we can pull it off. But wouldn't that be great if they did for everybody but the shorts? Wouldn't that be terrific? Let me give you another angle. Before Ryan Cohen got a seat on the board, there was an activist who got involved. His name is Kurt Wolf. He first bought GameStop in 2012, finally won some board seats early last year after an acrimonious proxy war. But here's the thing. When GameStop started spiking in January, Wolf dumped the bulk of his position between the high teens and the low 30s. That was a nice gain for him. Although if he had waited another couple of weeks, he would have had the win of a lifetime. Obviously, this guy's, though, not a true believer. Uh, and I bring that up because GameStop put together its special strategic committee earlier this month. Wolf was one of the three directors they appointed. The other two are Ryan Cohen, one of Cohen's allies. That's pretty telling. But why sell uh, when you think that somebody, if you thought it was going to go to back to 310, why would you sell some at 30? Look, here's the bottom line. I think GameStop is in an impossible position. Even when they do well and they're doing really well right now, there's no way to satisfy the hot money guys who keep pushing the stock up to ridiculous levels. I'm much more of a believer than I was yesterday. But I also think you're taking your life in your hands if you buy the stock up here. Let it sink to the mid-double digits, then I'll get back to you. In the meantime, the man I call General Sherman is always welcome on the show. And Ryan Cohen, he can co-host with me anytime he wants. All right, much more mad money. Forget the Jets and the Sharks. I'm eyeing the battle between United Wholesale Mortgage and Rocket Companies. Don't miss my exclusive for the CEO of, uh, of the former. Find out what it means for the entire industry. Then I'm breaking down the backlash we're seeing this morning. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. We've seen way too many SPAC deals of late, but with the group selling off once again today, we're looking for the hunt uh, for higher quality merchandise that's maybe being ignored by the market. Perhaps because of the great SPAC out, as my partner David Faber calls it. Take UWM Holdings. That's the company formerly known as United Wholesale Mortgage before it merged with a SPAC in January. This is, by the way, a gigantic SPAC. This is the largest wholesale mortgage originator in America. And right now, business is booming. But thanks to the SPAC sell-off and the rise in long-term interest rates, the stock has been hammered lately, falling more than 40% from its recent highs. When rates spike, investors worry that it will scare away new borrowers. Makes sense, right? Or at least result in tougher comparisons. I think it's a legitimate concern. But right now, UWM is trading just six times earnings, 4.9% yield. 
Most SPAC plays wouldn't even think about paying a dividend, but this one seems very enticing in the middle of a housing boom, although it's hard to figure out why the stock's doing so poorly. It's down 38% for the year. A lot of the banks are roaring. So let's check in with Matt Ishbia. He's the chairman and CEO of UWM Holdings. Learn more about his company where it's headed. Mr. Ishbia, welcome to Mad Money. Oh, thanks for having me. Excited to be here with you. All right, terrific. Matt, why don't you first introduce uh, UWM and tell us where it fits within the broader mortgage uh, universe, because we don't call up and get loans from UWM. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thanks for having me. You know, so we're the second largest mortgage company in America. So right behind Rocket Mortgage, we've been in business 35 years. I've been here 18 years, and we've grown from 12 people to 9,000 people. We've really just differentiated with technology. We have 1,200 technology people, proprietary technology, making the mortgage process faster, easier, cheaper. And that's really how we've differentiated ourselves and offering lower rates and, and closing loans faster. And, and that's how we've kind of grown. We're the only mortgage company to grow in 2014 every single year since then, and we're going to grow again this year. So that would be, uh, let's say, for technology, like the uh, Blink Plus that you uh, offered and your uh, mobile app that you just offered, both of which sound pretty uh, revolutionary, frankly. Yeah, absolutely. It's just making them, no one wants a mortgage. I'm in the mortgage business and no one wants a mortgage, right? They want the house. So how do you make right. it faster, easier, and cheaper? So we built technology to make the process so borrowers say, this is an easy process and I got a great rate. Everyone's winning. All right. So explain to me why, because the stock's been hammered here, why your company's better position for rising rates, which we're having right now, even though it's off of a very low base, than other companies in the financial sector? Yeah, it's a great question. So we're a lot less cyclical than a lot of my competitors. My, my main competitor is 93 plus percent refinance. We're not like that. We actually do better. We, had, we did pretty good. We made over 3.3 billion in 2020. So everyone won, but we actually will do well and take market share in a rising rate environment. You're actually gonna see that. Watch the second quarter of this year. We'll actually grow our market share and take over market share while other people are struggling because rates are ticking up. So we're less cyclical. And so of course, mortgage companies are cyclical tied to rates. Right. We're a lot less cyclical. We don't look as good on lower rates. We don't look as tough on higher rates. We're actually a much more steady company. And that's why we're paying a dividend. I have the confidence to be able to do that every single year. All right, so Matt, I know you as a competitive guy. You just donated, by the way, $32 million to Michigan State, and you were walk-on on the 2000 team that won the championship. So you're a tough guy, and I know you like to go at it. So a lot of people are saying that you did this uh, kind of an ultimatum to the people at Rocket that basically said, look, if you're a broker and you want to do business with Rocket, it's going to hurt you. And you even said that there's a, a kind of a penalty, a $5,000 penalty if you do business with them. I can't imagine this has necessarily been well received. I've got some negative uh, opinion pieces of David Stevens, who's a regulator, Jack Yosa, professor, saying that this isn't good for the consumer, not good for the industry. What do you say to that? Yeah, so absolutely. I understand. I know what the uh, you know how different people want to portray it, but the decision was not about doing things exclusively. We basically said, hey, mortgage brokers, 12,000 of you guys, if you're partnering with Rocket, they're out there doing things to, maybe you call it underhandedly or maybe in a gray area, to affect consumers and brokers. And what we're saying is, listen, I can't stop them, but if you're going to work with them, don't work with us. That's nothing crazy. There's 75 wholesale lenders. I'm not taking away choice from anyone. It's actually been very positive. Out of my 12,000 brokers, less than 500 have said they're going to go with them. And once again, you'll see that in the second quarter numbers is a lot of people want to talk about it. But the reality is brokers are all in. They understand that Matt and UWM is here to protect the broker channel and consumers because consumers get lower rates when they go through a broker. That's not an opinion. That's a fact. And so find a mortgagebroker.com driving more consumers to brokers and where Rocket and some other companies are trying to take them out 
And so we just stood up for what was right, and we always right. are going to do well, what's right. Well, you said in your last quarter that you guided to 200, 235 basis, uh, basis point improvement. Are, are, are you able to maintain that with, uh, with, with this uh, penalty that you put on? Are you still nothing, able to that, do those penalty numbers? Has nothing to, yeah, the penalty, we're, the first quarter numbers, we're going to be right within that range of 200 okay. to 235, like I gave guidance on. But the penalty has nothing to do with it. This is about futuristic. How do we win long term? How do the brokers continue to win and consumers win as well? And that's what happened and that's what's going to happen. And my competitors don't like it. Like my business is not designed to make my competitors like me. No. This is not how I'm going to do but, things. But, I'm going to win for my shareholders and team members and brokers. But just like when you won the NCAA, you're a fair guy and there's a great tourney. Can you walk back a little that stuff about maybe even underhand? Because we look, this is Dan Gilbert and Rocky. These guys are great guys. And look, you're a competitor, but we don't want to think that they did anything underhanded. We have no evidence of that. So... So I didn't say anything illegal. Okay. I didn't do anything wrong. And Dan Gilbert's a winner, by the way. You I've bet. seen him. He's built a great business. Nothing wrong with what Dan's done. What I'm saying is they're doing things that I don't think are best for mortgage brokers and consumers. And it's not against the rules. It's just my perspective is if you want to work with them, I wish you the best. If you want my proprietary technology, my lower rates, my faster turn times, then you got to say, hey, listen, you're all in with UWM and 73 other lenders. You have plenty of choice. And so it's a little different perspective. I know it's a little, but like we're, we're different. We're, you know, not everyone loves Tesla didn't you're like scrapping. Tesla. Even though you're huge. I'm competing. You're, you're, <laughs> all right, one last thing. Okay, the stock's down 40% because of that, maybe, or just because it's just people just freak out when rates go higher and they don't know the story. Yeah, I think that people just don't know the story. I'm excited. The long-term success of the business will help the stock price. The dividend's strong. We're going to continue to win, and people will see that quarter over quarter. All right. Terrific that you're on the show. Matt Ishbia, Chairman CEO of UWM Holdings. My team tells me to say, go Spartans. Hey, go Spartans. Thank <laughs> you. Right. Man, buddy's back after the break. Just chill out. Is this Chill Master Jay? The Chill Man is in the house. He's happy. The lightning round is coming up when Mad Money returns. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Skeet Daddy, cover the lightning round question. Why don't we start with James in Washington, James? Hey, Jim, big booyah from our nation's capital. There you go. What's happening? So my question is on stamps.com, S-T-M-P. I took a small position a few weeks ago. I'm about even right now, but I'm not sure. Do I stay in? Do I buy more? Well, you know, it's a controversial stock. What used to buoy the stock was in a very big short position. It's obviously at home. You get stamps. I think you should sell it. I think it's a stay at home, work at home, not as heavily shorted stock. And there's better ones out there in this kind of tape. Let's go to Robert and Marilyn. Robert. What's up with the chill man today? The chill man be struggling with this market. What's happening? Yeah, me too. Well, look, I've been looking at a cement stock for a while and wanted to know if now is the time to jump in. Uh, what do you think about Semex? CX? Semex is always a cheap stock and never seems to be able to deliver, frankly, uh, Mexican cement. But I do believe Mexico is about to have a resurgence. Uh, six bucks? Oh, geez. Yeah, I do a little. Let's go to Jeff. In South Carolina, Jeff. Ba-ba-ba-ba-ba, big time booyah, Jim Kramer. Chill man loves that whole thing he's got going. What's happening? Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm chilling myself. Long, long, long time. Been in the queue, first time on air. All right. First of all, first we all want to say thank you for you and your team for what you've done for all of us to become better investors. Thank you. And really appreciate it. 
My stock should be the Prince of DevOps platforms. I gave it a big kiss at the $60 level after the first earnings report. Just got chosen to help provide AWS and Azure for the cloud of government. And I waited out the lockup period, which just ended last week. But it seems to be lying stuck in the mud. Question, am I going to get warts or get some royal returns? Want to know your thoughts on ticker F-R-O-G. They didn't blow the numbers away. You know when you're that high multiple, you're going to have to blow the numbers away. And they did not do it. And one of the things people have to realize is these companies, look, look at Adobe. Adobe blew the numbers away and it didn't matter. It didn't move the stock. So I can't go with the JFrog. I have to say no to the JFrog. I'm even leaning against the data dog. JFrog, data dog, I mean. All right, let's go to Alex in New York. Alex. Jim, booyah from Brooklyn. Which part, man? I'm there. Oh, yeah, Winter Terrace. Oh, nice. Uh, Nice. Yeah. Uh, So I'm asking about Bank of America. It's had a great run this year. I want. Well, it's the kind of stock that people want. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Uh, but I do feel that, like, now people are starting to regroup and say, let's just pull away from this market, let it come down a little. But Bank of America is very, very inexpensive, as the group is, even after this run. One more. Jim in Michigan. Jim. A big booyah, Jimmy Chill. How are you? I am good. How about you? I'm doing fantastic. Hey, Jim, I was wondering if you'd give me some information on Devon Energy, DBN. You know, I did not like Devon until Rick Moncrief. Now, Rick does not remember, remember me. I once shared a helicopter with him looking over uh, CLR, and, and he, the guy is brilliant. He did WPX. I just have to like, I don't, I don't like the oils, but Rick Moncrief, he is. So take it for what it's worth. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, with almost 300 companies coming public this year via acquisition, has the market SPAC attack gotten too out of hand? Kramer's giving his take on the craze and why it may not be as spectacular as it seems. Next. You are super. You are awesome. I'm a first-time investor. Thank you for inspiring me to get in the game. Your show is the best. I am so glad you're on TV. I want you to know that you have transformed me. Thank you, Kramer. So yesterday I get this lightning round call about a SPAC, and it's one of those serial SPACs that's brought public by an outfit that's already issued a SPAC. I didn't want to confuse SPAC 1 and SPAC 2. I said as much, but I'd also done homework on both and was prepared to opine on either one. Before I got into the details, though, I repeated that we've got way too many SPACs. And at this point, they gotta, they've become hard to keep track of. I didn't think that was a controversial statement. We've had 292 SPAC IPOs this year, many with similar names and similar missions. Let's just call them Thing 1 and Thing 2, like a Dr. Seuss book. As Barry Sternlick, the CEO of Starwood Capital, explained on Squawkbox this morning, it's gotten preposterous. Barry's one of the best investors alive, a guy who's issued a bunch of SPACs himself, and he's adamant that many of these things are now absolute garbage. Why listen to Sternlick? I mean, we've got too many SPACs. Why take this guy seriously? He's done three of them. He's got three more on the way. Simple. Just as there are good SPACs and bad SPACs, there are also good operators and bad operators. Sterling's one of the good operators. He's careful and considerate and thoughtful and rigorous. He actually came on the show 
right here, when Starward Properties Trust, one of the publicly traded subsidiaries, was at 19 bucks and told a great story. But when the pandemic struck, the stock was almost cut in half. I went back to him and he insisted, don't worry, things were sound. He exuded confidence, telling me that while others in the real estate business were hurting, his partnerships were doing fine. Sure enough, the stock rebounded from the high single digits a year ago to $24 today. You made, you crushed it. Plus, Starwood's property paid you a fabulous distribution the whole way up. It still yields 7.9%. So Barry's what I call money good. And I'm always going to be interested in anything he's doing, whether it's a REIT or a SPAC or something else entirely. And if he says some of these deals are now being bought by bucket shop operators, that's the term you use, I'm getting nauseous. Yep, it's pretty clear that we're now in the outer limits of the spacking. As my morning partner, David Faber, put it earlier today, he coined this term. We are now in spack out. He's definitely dead right. Worse, we've also got a Gresham's Law situation here where the bad SPACs are driving out the good. If you want to mess around with these stocks now, you need to be incredibly selective because most don't pass the smell test. Still, when I woke up this morning, I was struck by all the vitriol I received on Twitter just for making a joke about how it's hard to tell one SPAC from another. One little throwaway line, suddenly I'm an idiot who clearly doesn't do enough homework. People are really tell you they're holding on to the wrong SPACs. When you start getting that heat, that's because they're hurting. Now, I know I should be used to it by now, but the stuff drives me nuts. I mean, I do a pathological amount of homework. Of course, anytime I level any criticism at an industry, the hecklers demand mathematical proof. I mean, that's what happened with the SPACs. They went, uh, they want rigorous scientific evidence that we've entered some sort of frothy cauldron of special purpose acquisition vehicles. Otherwise, they won't believe it. I mean, all I can say is I've been doing this for 40 years, and I know what a rose carnival we've got going right now. You don't need no mathematics. Look, this is not the end of the world. The market can do just fine, even in a SPAC out situation. But you do need to recognize that we've reached SPAC saturation. And for any company that's still bringing these things public, all I can say is you're definitely late to the party. So here's your hat. What's your hurry? And don't let the door slam you on the way out. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. And I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.